I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 16 today as we look at the pursuit of pleasure. Where is it that we find lasting pleasure? Psalm 16, we'll read verses 1 through 11 this morning. I invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word if you have it there. If you don't, you can listen as I read aloud. David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If I were to ask you a question this morning, what makes you happy? For some of us, happiness feels like something elusive, something we'll never catch. But let's maybe turn that a different way. What is it that brings you pleasure? Not what can make you happy in every aspect of life, but what is it in life that brings you pleasure? Now, for some of you, you're remembering this morning waking up, and you get that cup of coffee, and you begin to sip, and you know you're beginning to feel just a little bit of sensation of pleasure. Now, others of you are more like me, and that warm, gooey chocolate chip cookie brings pleasure. For others, it might be that post-workout feeling. You didn't feel like it going in, but you sweated it out, you're worn out, but it's that good tired, that pleasurable tired. Or maybe you feel that after a day in the yard. Or maybe you remember times with your family. Maybe you remember back a few months, you hadn't seen your family for months, and then Christmas, everyone came together again. Or perhaps there's pleasure in having your family sit here with you today. For others of us, perhaps it brought to mind illicit pleasures. Seeking pleasure in ways that we know aren't good and yet we have a hard time shaking off. You see, everyone is looking for pleasure. I mean, life at some level for all of us is a pursuit of this. We're looking for what makes us happy. The world promises pleasure in all sorts of places. And we live in a world pursuing pleasure, pursuing happiness. Life declares to us that we deserve to be happy, and if we're not, we're frustrated because we don't have the pleasures that we desire. But no matter who you are, that word brings something different to mind for each of us. We live in a society consumed by the pursuit of pleasure. Never have people who had so much been convinced that we don't have what we deserve. 
I mean, we live in a society that by any measure historically is more affluent, more comfortable than any that's come before, and yet we live frustrated people. When we can't find pleasure, life often seems meaningless. Well, where do you go for pleasure when you can't find it? Where do you look for this elusive thing when it can't be held? Where do you go to grasp happiness? The Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. Now, if you've been in both services this morning, we've sung a lot today. We've sung of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. We've sung songs about the grief of our own sin and about the glory of God. And the Psalms are the songs of God's people throughout the ages. And they reveal to us the full gamut of human emotion. Grief, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Glory, at your right hand are pleasures forever. Frustration. God, why do the wicked prosper? What about us, God? There's the full range of human emotion. But one of the beauties of Scripture is the way it all flows together. Because right here in the middle of our Bible, in Psalm 16, we have a diamond, a gem of truth. But this diamond sits in sort of like the crown jewels of the entire canon. It fits in with the rest of God's word in a way that's kind of remarkable when you consider the way that it's used in the New Testament. So this morning, as we dive into Psalm 16, what we're going to do is seek to understand what David has written here. But understand that its ultimate purpose isn't fulfilled here in Psalms, it's fulfilled in Christ. You see, this is a psalm of resurrection. And it's the New Testament that shows us what God fully intends here in this psalm. You see, what we find when we look in God's word, what is the source of true pleasure? It is Jesus' resurrection that guarantees the only source of eternal pleasure, who is Jesus himself. Jesus' resurrection guarantees the only source of eternal pleasure, Jesus. And so what we're going to do is work our way fairly quickly through the psalm itself to understand the flow of thought here. And then we're going to set that jewel in that crown and connect dots to see how this fits together with the rest of Scripture. You see, everyone wants... The good life. Whether it's Coca-Cola, Budweiser, Verizon, Apple, Samsung, you will not find a single major advertising company in the United States that shows you an ad that makes you less happy. They're all designed to show you that, you know what, if you do sit around in a living room and you have a data plan where everyone can be on their phones at the same time, you'll actually be happier. It's actually not true, but that's what brings true happiness. Or if you drink this product, this product will bring true pleasure. But even if that sip does bring pleasure, it's soon gone and you're left with the refuse in the bottom of the bottle or can. But what we see this morning in this passage is that pursuing the true God brings unbelievable goodness. You see, pursuit of pleasure for the sake of the pleasure itself actually brings heartache. 
But the pursuit of pleasure in God brings the highest pleasure and lasts forever. David, the king of Israel, and the writer of this psalm, points us to the true source of pleasure outside ourselves. And if we seek our pleasure in God, we will find protection. Verses 1 and 2, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. David begins this psalm with a prayer for protection. Now perhaps you live in a world where you're more aware of danger than you've ever been before. David, though, knew danger. He was well acquainted with physical and emotional threats from fleeing an army, chasing him in the wilderness, to betrayal and attack by his own beloved son, Absalom. David knew that his only true refuge lay in God himself. And he offers this remarkable testimony to God, his refuge. I have no good God apart from you. But in God, we can also find community. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You see, finding refuge in God leads to finding delight in the community of God's people. The idea that you can pursue a relationship with God, separate from a relationship with God's people, is a completely foreign concept, even in the Old Testament. You can't find it in the new, you can't find it in the old. The way that God makes his protection evident today is most often through the community of his people. Now, as we find our refuge in God, the place of safety lives itself out in real time, in a real place with real people. You can't experience the spiritual and emotional protection of God for his people apart from a committed place in the community of God's people. To put this a little more bluntly, if you're not a committed, faithful member in a local church, you can't experience the blessings of community and protection the way God has designed them. But God not only promises protection and community, he says, if we find our pleasure in him, we will find satisfaction. Verses 5 and 6, the Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. King David expanded the territory of his people. He finished conquering a land that had begun hundreds of years before. His strength led to a season of prosperity for the land, highlighted eventually by the rule of his son Solomon. God, hundreds of years before, had promised this land as an inheritance. Yet even now that they've experienced the pleasure of owning the land, living in the land, thriving the land, David understands that the land isn't the point. He sees the Lord as his inheritance. His satisfaction is found in his relationship with the eternal God. God also promises wisdom to those who seek him. Verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. You see, finding a place of refuge and satisfaction in God brings the benefit of an ever-present, all-knowing counselor. God's wisdom is available day and night. Now, maybe you're smarter than I am, but have you ever found yourself in a place where you don't know what to do? I mean, sometimes it's black, white, wrong, white, wrong, right, but sometimes it's maybe, maybe not. Should I? 
shouldn't I? You see, a relationship with the living God promises not only life, but also wisdom to live life as God intends. God also promises confidence. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Now, maybe you never lack confidence. But theoretically, if you ever did, God promises to go with us like parent with child. Now, imagine with me that, now don't, don't get up yet, but imagine that we're just a little forward and it's time for lunch. You didn't make plans today, and so you traipse next door to Jason's Deli. And you're sitting there for lunch, and you get your food, and you realize you were supposed to get salsa with your chips. And you ask your child sitting there, could you go ask them for some salsa? And your child looks at you and says, well, theoretically, I could, but I'm scared. I I don't want to go. Can you go with me? Now, does your presence with that child make that child any more capable of speaking the words, may I please have some salsa? No. What does your presence do? It gives that child confidence. And David says, those who find their delight in God have the Lord always with them. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Brothers and sisters, has the Lord who is our helper not said, I will never leave you or forsake you? Does he not go with us when we go? When we walk through the green pasture, by the still water, or even through the valley of the shadow of death, our God is there with us and will never leave us. We need never be shaken. The presence of this more powerful person gives us courage in the face of danger. David walks with the Lord. He will never be shaken no matter what life brings his way. And he says in verses 9 through 11, we find pleasure in God. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the climax of this song. David recaps and heightens our expectations Today he dwells secure. My flesh dwells secure. But he looks forward to something better than security, eternal pleasure. Yet with all these promises, there is another side to the story. Perhaps, or perhaps not, perhaps you noticed verse 4, we skipped that one. Pursuing other gods brings heartache. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will pour out or take their names on my lips. Now this passage focuses mostly on the benefits of a relationship with God. But David also takes a minute, just a minute, to reflect on the alternative. There is great promise in pursuing pleasure in something other than God. Don't miss what he says. There is a return on this investment, a return on finding pleasure in other gods. There is overflowing, abundant fruit 
from pursuing a pleasure in something or someone besides God himself. But it's not just David who knows this. We know this too. I mean, we know this from personal experience. Because ever since you're a very young child, you've been looking for what makes you happy. When you're young, it might be Legos or a doll. When you're older, it might be a car or a job. When you're an adult, it might be some level of career fulfillment. But never has a society had so much promise of so much pleasure and been so frustrated in the pursuit of this pleasure, been so miserable. In 2015, a blockbuster study came to a surprising conclusion. For the first time in decades, middle-aged white Americans are dying younger for the first time in decades. This is not true of other ethnicities in the United States or like trends in other wealthy countries or other segments of the U.S. population. One of the main takeaways from this study is the notable, trackable increase in suicides, as well as deaths related to alcoholism and drug overdose. To help us visualize what this is, that red line is the rate of deaths in white middle-aged Americans, even as other death rates are declining. Why is this? Our culture is increasingly looking for pleasure and not finding it. Looking more and more desperately. These are people that by any measure historically have it the best. Not deprived. Not marginalized. Not persecuted. The language of verse 4 is picturesque. To run after means to chase something, or more particularly, it can refer to a man on the hunt for a wife. People are pursuing pleasure like a young man pursues a young lady. You see, the pursuit of pleasure is an intimate pursuit. It's why when our pleasure is threatened, we get angry. If you want to know where your gods are, look for where you're quickest to be provoked. Look for what you're quickest to defend. Now, there's a lot wrong with our country. It's not hard to see, but one of the reasons that politics has become so passionate and so divisive in our nation over the past decade or so is that God's people have put a weight of hope on politics that politics was never meant to bear. Threaten our God will blow you out of the water. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You press the button of politics, that's not what explodes out of many professing Christians. But other times it's 
closer to home. You're growing older. And you're frustrated and angry because you can't do the things you want to do. I mean, the things that you could do, you can no longer do. Things like tying a shoe become impossible tasks. You've had a long, hard day at work. You come home, sit down, hoping, you know, for a little crash time. And then the little hands come out asking for help. Or a little voice arguing with another little voice and you flip your lid. If I hear one more word, they're threatening the God of your personal comfort. You're headed out the door to church. You've been doing this for five years, ten years, fifteen years, and that same person is still running behind. It's why when God removes a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend from your life, you struggle with questioning the goodness of God. Because your hopes aren't in God, they're in that relationship. It's why when that longed-for child doesn't arrive, you find yourself questioning God. Because your hopes aren't in God, they're in the hope of that relationship. Or when your career plans come crashing down around your ears, you realize your hopes were into those plans, not in God himself. So take a moment. What do you respond to as a threat? Maybe it's when someone criticizes you for a mistake. We all have different manifestations of chasing other gods, but one thing all of these pursuits have in common is this. In these pursuits, we, not God, are at the center of our universe. All of these gods manifest themselves different ways, but they demonstrate that there is one God in our lives, and it's us. We worship the God of our comfort, of our safety, of our security, of our hopes, of our plans. You don't get mad because someone threatens my comfort. I don't get mad because someone threatens your hopes. They demonstrate that we are at the center of our own universe, your world, your gods made in your image. This world will come crashing down. And you will know what David said in verse 4, your sorrows will multiply. They abound when we pursue pleasure anywhere else but in God himself. Now, for most of us, this isn't even a theoretical idea. We experience this in small ways and in some great ways. That finding pleasure in this life will bring sorrow. Now, you might be saying, but the people pursuing pleasure in this life look really happy. Well, sometimes they're projecting a false image of happiness. But other times they are experiencing temporary pleasure. You see, the pleasures of sin are real. 
but they are temporary. You cannot find eternal pleasure on this earth. Those who pursue pleasure in this life only testify over and over that finding pleasure here ultimately brings pain, even though there's a temporary sense of pleasure. Sometimes it's the destructive pleasure like drug or alcohol or addiction. Sometimes it's a soul-draining pleasure of sexual addiction through pornography or sensual contact with another person. But sometimes it's the more forgivable pleasure of children, family, or financial security. And friend, if you find your ultimate pleasure in any of these places, your sorrows will multiply. So we have two competing pictures here. Finding unbelievable goodness in the true God and sorrow for those who find their pleasure in this life only. Well, how then do we find true pleasure? And God's word tells us that true pleasure comes only through Jesus. And God's word is such a gift to us. Not only does it reveal the mind and will of God, it does so in a way that just weaves a beautiful story. You see, if you've taken time to understand Psalm 16, but you cannot understand Psalm 16 if you don't understand how it fits with the rest of Scripture. There are two main sections to our Bibles, Old Testament, New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament, but when we get to the New Testament, we come to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And Acts is a record of the first Christians, the first people establishing the first churches after Jesus was on earth. Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. Peter, one of the first apostles, stands speaking a powerful message of gospel hope. He speaks to a crowd of thousands. Listen to his words. Acts 2 verse 23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning Jesus, now look in your Bible at Psalm 16, 8. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." What Peter says is, when David wrote these words, he wrote them ultimately about the resurrection of Jesus. Later on in the book of Acts, another one of the apostles, Paul, quotes from the same psalm to speak about the resurrection. You see, the Bible is one great story. And it points to this story, that all people are made in the image of God. And thus reflect some of God's good character. But our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, fell. Sin broke God's single command. And in sinning, broke the goodness of God's creation. This brokenness is why it irritates you when someone threatens your pleasure. It's why it irritates you when your husband or your wife is running late. It's why it irritates you when your kids make you look bad. It's why it irritates you when your job's not going well. This brokenness. You see, the punishment for one sin against an infinite God is eternal death. And only an eternal being can pay this kind of death. 
You see, in God's story, anyone who trusts the work of Christ in their behalf and lets go of their attempts to find satisfaction in anything else finds pleasure. It's actually the letting go of the pursuit of pleasure that leads to pleasure in Christ. It's dying that leads to life. It's loss that leads to gain. Faith in Christ and Christ alone is the only hope that anyone has of finding what they're looking for. The only way to pleasure is to come to God, admit that your life is bankrupt apart from him, and turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. If you're here apart from Christ, if you're here claiming Christ but pursuing your pleasure anywhere else, would you turn from that pursuit and find your life in Jesus alone? But all this would be worthless if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died a horrible death. A death of crucifixion in our place, but he didn't stay dead. This day and every Sunday is a day of celebration. Because Jesus raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. And he therefore has the power to conquer sin, death, and hell in your life too. This isn't just any life. Psalm 16 is in our Bibles to help us see that not only did Jesus purchase life, he purchased a life of ultimate pleasure. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. And what is that path? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Charleston is a community of people looking for the good life. Living life during the week so you can have the life you want on the weekend. But no matter how that good that life gets, no matter how early you can retire, you will one day find yourself sitting in the midst of your pleasures, realizing they are empty. But to pursue that same life in Christ is to find a life of eternal joy, eternal pleasure, goodness beyond your comprehension. The good life isn't here, it's there. So we live our lives here dying daily, Paul says, taking up our cross and following Christ, because this ain't it. Do you want true pleasure? Stop the mad scramble to find it here and find it in Jesus. The only way to be fulfilled in your pursuit of pleasure is to stop pursuing pleasure and start pursuing Jesus. And if what I've said today isn't convincing, get a Bible and open it. And ask God to show you Jesus. Ask God to answer your questions. These words are spirit and they are life. The word of God has the power, it appears, to the very center of our being. You see, when you find life in Jesus, you will find that we were never meant to have ultimate pleasure in this life. 
but in the next. When we see Jesus, meet him face to face, and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That, brothers and sisters, will be eternal joy. Let's take a moment now and respond to God's word in repentance and faith. I'll give you a moment to talk with God personally, and then I'll close this time in prayer. Let's talk to him now. Oh God, we believe by faith that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, will you show us the path of life? And I pray for those here who are pursuing pleasure elsewhere, who are seeking it other than in Christ, God, who think that this life can offer what we desire. Lord, I pray that you will be gracious and allow their sorrows to multiply as a way of showing us this life can't deliver what we want. God, that we will find our joy in the one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.